Good morning and a very warm welcome to the Institute for Government and to the speech by Angela Rayner, Deputy Leader of the Labour Party, on how Labour proposes to rebuild trust in public life. I'm Bronwyn Maddox, the Director of the Institute. Before we start, a few housekeeping questions or points to remember. Do start sending in your questions. And if you want to say where you're speaking from or watching from, please do do that. We love to know that and your name as well if you're prepared to give it. We're going to have a video and sound recording of the event on our website within 24 hours. We're going to be live tweeting from IFG events using the hashtag IFGRainer. And in terms of the choreography of this morning, Angela Rayner is going to speak first. I'm going to ask her a couple of questions. We have a lot of media here, such is the interest in this and the public interest in this question. I'm going to go to them, and, but I'm going to leave time for all your questions as well. Thank you very much in advance for sending them. And with that, a brief introduction. Ang Angela Rayner, been the MP for Ashton Underline since 2015 deputy leader of the Labour Party since 2020. And over the last six years or so, she's held a big range of shadow roles. <laughs> she was appointed to the Whip's office under Jeremy Corbyn, subsequently served as shadow pensions minister and shadow education secretary. She is currently the shadow chancellor of the Duchy of Lan uh, Lancaster, shadow minister for the cabinet office, shadow secretary of state for the future of work and shadow first secretary of state. With that, a very warm welcome. Uh, thanks, Bronwyn. And I, you missed a few of the other things out as well, yeah. but you get them on yeah, get them on Wikipedia, otherwise we'd be here all day and you wouldn't you wouldn't get to the meat and the hub of why we're here today. And thank you all for being here today, and particular thanks to the Institute for Government for hosting us today. And never has your role as an independent think tank working in the public interest been more vital. The IFG stands for impartiality and speaking truth to power. Ideas that underpin much of what I have to say today. 24 years ago, a Labour opposition exposed the sleaze engulfing the Conservative Party and Labour governments legislated to clean it up. The Political Parties Elections and Referendums Act, the Electoral Commission, a ministerial code, public registers of donations to political parties, the Freedom of Information Act. Transparency was the key and sunlight was the best disinfectant. The last Labour government did not hesitate to act decisively to clean, it, clean up British public life. And the next Labour government will act to stamp out the corruption that Boris Johnson and his government has polluted our democracy with. Now the truth is, nobody could have predicted the corruption and the shamelessness of Boris Johnson. The current system only works when there is respect for the rules and there are consequences for breaking them. Today, because of this Prime Minister, there is no respect for the rules and no consequences for breaking them. As on so many issues, his actions in office stand in stark and sad contrast to his words on taking office. In his own foreword to the ministerial code, the Prime Minister wrote that to win back the trust of the British people, 
We must uphold the very highest standards of probity. There must be no bullying and no harassment. Yet when his first independent advisor on ministerial interest found that his home secretary broke that code by bullying officials, it was the advisor who left government. And when an independent panel found that one of his own MPs were guilty of harassment, the government imposed a three-line whip to keep him in Parliament. Now, the Prime Minister promised no misuse of taxpayers' money and no actual or perceived conflicts of interest. And yet he then went on to give us the VIP lane for PPE contracts, the Randox lobbying scandal, and the three and a half billion pounds of taxpayers' money lying in the pockets of party donors and ministers' mates. The Prime Minister said that the precious principles of public life, integrity, objectivity, accountability, transparency, honesty, and leadership in public interest must be honoured at all times. Now, you'll be glad to hear I won't be listing every example of him breaking those principles, or none of you would get out of here before dinner time. The current regime is no longer working precisely because we have a Prime Minister who is shameless in breaking the rules and won't enforce the consequences on others who break them. Corruption, and that is the word, is happening in plain sight and is rife right through this Conservative government. And that is why we must now urgently rebuild trust, the public trust, in politics and government. And it is why we must go further than the last Labour government and stamp out the corruption that has engulfed Boris Johnson's government and his party thanks to his own actions and inaction. No more members of parliament paid to lobby their own government. No more ministers breaking the rules and getting away with it. No more revolving door between ministerial office and lobbying jobs. No more corruption and waste of taxpayers' money. And that goes to the heart of why standards matter. Because the people who are picking up the bill are the taxpayers whose money ministers are wasting and abusing. Families in my constituency and across the country have had a thousand pounds taken from their pockets by this government. Care workers, nurses, delivery drivers, supermarket workers, the heroes who got us through the pandemic. And what thanks do they get in return? Government MPs lying in their pockets with a £1,000 an hour and Conservative ministers giving billions to their mates. When there is so obviously one rule for the Prime Minister and his ministers and another for everyone else, that does corrode trust in our democracy. People lose faith in the government as a force for good in their lives. Because if everybody else breaks the rules at work or breaks the law, 
then they will face the consequences. Take the veteran who loses their universal credit because the bus was late. Or the sole trader who falls foul of HMRC for losing a receipt. It's one rule for the Prime Minister and another for everyone else. Our democracy cannot hinge on a gentleman's agreement. It needs independent and robust protection. So today, I am setting out how a Labour government will clean up our politics and restore that trust. And we will start by setting tougher rules. We will ensure tougher enforcement of those rules, independent of political control. And we will protect taxpayers' money against the abuses that we've seen from this government. Now, two weeks ago, we laid out our five-point plan to clean up our politics and stamp out conservative corruption. And today, I will go further setting out our Independent Integrity and Ethics Commission that will stamp out corruption in government, strengthen the rules, and ensure that they are enforced. Now, the current system is broken. The Committee on Standards in Public Life found that there are too easily ignored or disregarded, and the systems that are supposed to uphold the rules are not working well. That regulation of the ministerial code and of ministers after they leave office falls below what is necessary to ensure effective regulation and maintain public credibility. Our standards are currently governed by an alphabet soup of different committees, advisors, rules and code of conducts. Ministers and former ministers can hide behind the loopholes, the disjointed process and the lack of enforcement. And why is this the case? Because the rot starts at the top. Boris Johnson has lived his entire life bending and breaking the rules. He's been investigated for breaking the rules in every office he has ever been elected to. He broke the parliamentary rules on his outside financial interests twice. So he tried to replace the Independent Commissioner for Standards. The Electoral Commission investigated the dodgy deals that paid for his flat so he's trying to give ministers control of the Electoral Commission. His ministers, MPs and advisers know that if they break the rules, they'll get away with it because they are just following on from his example. Boris Johnson has proved that rules are only as good as the mechanisms that are there to enforce them. Under this Prime Minister, rules are broken but there is no punishment or sanction, or he just changes the rules after the fact. The Prime Minister has shown that he will only ever act in his own self-interest and never in the public interest. He's not just incapable, but unwilling to do what is needed to tackle corruption and improve standards. Now the country faces a choice. Boris Johnson, or a Labour government that will stamp out conservative corruption and restore trust in public office. Now, the rules are only as robust as the processes that uphold them. We need to strengthen the rules, but we need to strengthen those processes too. 
Take the independent advisor on minister, ministers' interests. It's a vital role. Tasked with upholding standards in government, enforcing the ministerial code, and investigating cases where ministers break the rules. But the role of the independent advisor is toothless if the Prime Minister won't act. And that suits Boris Johnson. The role of the independent advisor is not independent. They're not allowed to be independent. Investigations can only happen when the Prime Minister says so. And the independent advisor's advice to Boris Johnson is not worth the paper it's written on because he can simply ignore it. And he does, as he did with the Home Secretary when the rules were broken. Look at the example of the Prime Minister's flat. In no other walk of life would the person under investigation be judge, jury, and in charge of the person investigating. And surprise, surprise, the report concluded that the Prime Minister didn't even know that the refurbishment was happening in his own flat. And when a minister breaks the ministerial code, it's the Prime Minister who decides whether to investigate them and what sanctions they should face. Complaints are answered with explanations that the Prime Minister decided that there shouldn't be an investigation, case closed. Or that where there's been wrongdoing, no sanction is needed. Again, case closed. Labour's Independent Integrity and Ethics Commission will replace this broken system. The Independent Integrity and Ethics Commission will have the power to open investigations into ministers' conduct without the approval of the Prime Minister. The Commission will have the power to access any evidence that they need and there will be clear sanctions for breaches of the code. So the Prime Minister is no longer judge and jury over the conduct of ministers. And the ministerial code itself requires reform. <coughs> Since I became Shadow Chancellor of the Duchy of Lancaster, myself and the advisor on ministerial interests have become firm pen pals. It feels like barely a day goes by without me asking him to investigate a minister's misconduct. I know the ministerial code like the back of my hand and I know that it needs updating and strengthening. Take the case of the former health secretary. When Matt Hancock broke the ministerial code, a new phrase, technical breach, was created out of thin air to get him off the hook. The grey areas give ministers leeway to break the rules and make it harder to enforce the rules. So one of the first things the Integrity and Ethics Commission will do is consult on the changes that are required to update the ministerial code so it is fit for purpose. But we also need to overhaul the rules that apply to former ministers as they leave office. There can be no stronger evidence that the rules are broken than the case of David Cameron. If the former Prime Minister can text everyone in his phone book to help his dodgy mate Lex Grinso get access to taxpayers' money, try to help himself to a $200 million bonus and then rely on a defence that everything he did was within the rules, then it is clear that the rules themselves are broken. And so is the system that is supposed to uphold the rules. The Committee on Business Appointments was already a toothless watchdog. 
But under this government, it's been muzzled and neutered. Forget the revolving door. We have a system where the door is wide open for former ministers who want to line their pockets as soon as they leave office. The system is pointless because the rules are too weak and there is no enforcement of them. The regulator says that former ministers cannot make use of any information or contacts they make when they were in office. But what else are these companies paying them for? Let's face it, why else is Chris Grayling worth £100,000 a year? And I'm pretty sure someone's going to employ Gavin Williamson next. The committee can't even enforce its own rulings or take action when the rules are broken. When the committee said that the former Chancellor, Philip Hammond, broke the lobbying rules, the chair wrote to the minister who was responsible for enforcing them. But the government ignored the committee for three months until I asked a parliamentary question. And then they finally replied to agree that the rules were broken, but they won't be taking any action. So Labour will ban former ministers from lobbying for at least five years after they leave office. No ifs, no buts, no letters after a role has already been accepted and no exceptions. A total ban. And consequences too, including financial sanctions if the rules are broken. Whether it is Philip Hammond being paid by a banker who got a £7 million bonus in the budget, Steve Prime working for a healthcare company that got COVID contracts, or the former Attorney General providing legal advice for a tax haven in a corruption case against the government. We will stop former ministers profiting from public office and we will close this revolving door for good. Public servants should serve the public without an eye on a cushy gig as soon as they leave office. So the Integrity and Ethics Commission will enforce the rules on ministers after they leave office too. Earlier this month, I welcomed the latest report from the Committee on Standards in Public Life. I submitted my views to the Committee on behalf of the Labour Party and we welcome every recommendation. If we were in government, we would implement every single one and in many cases actually go further. The committee's report provides a framework to improve standards in our public life. The only problem with the committee's work is that the current Prime Minister will just ignore it. I'm still asking ministers when they will implement the recommendations from their 2018 report. So the remit of the stand Committee on Standards in Public Life will be strengthened and brought into the Integrity and Ethics Commission. The Commission will be able to conduct inquiries and advise the Prime Minister on standards across public life, just as the Committee does today, but with the power to ensure that action is taken. Now the changes that I have set out today will overhaul the broken system that has failed to stop the spread of corruption under this Prime Minister. And we will put the Independent Commission on a statutory footing enshrined in legislation. Never again will a Prime Minister and his ministers be able to break the rules with impunity because the rules are far too weak. They aren't enforced 
and it is the Prime Minister himself in charge of them. Under a Labour government, the rules will be strengthened, enforcement will be toughened up, and power and control over the rules will be taken away from those the rules hold to account. Boris Johnson's corruption means that we must now urgently rebuild trust in our politics, in public <coughs> office and in government as a force for good. That means rebuilding the regime that is not working. And the British people deserve so much better than Boris Johnson's corruption and failure. And it will be a Labour government that cleans up our politics. And it will be a Labour government that makes our politics a force for good again. Thank you. Angela Verona, thank you very much indeed. Thanks for that um, sweeping relocation um, of the powers of investigation that you've described. Let me just ask you a couple of things, as I, as I said I would at, at the beginning. The first one, I'm interested in the way that in the speech you have gathered together all these, you called it an alphabet soup of, 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 of bodies that look into standards under one. The Committee on Standards and Public Life has explicitly just rejected that, saying the idea of, of having it all under one, saying that it gives too much unelected power over MPs, civil servants, ministers to one unelected body and that that is not a healthy thing in a democracy. How would you respond to that? Well, currently we have six different bodies yep, and as I say, there is so much ambiguity and difference within it that I think it's currently not working. I believe that having a system that is truly independent of the Prime Minister, that is set up through the permanent secretary and the appointments are made, and it is a committee, I think that that will be much more robust in dealing with some of these issues. At the moment, we've seen quite clearly that, especially in particular to the Prime Minister's veto, is that people can break the rules and it's, they get away with it. And it's been incredibly frustrating for me. I think my English teacher's really impressed. I've made that many letters, you know. I've done so much writing over the last couple of weeks. I've got a spreadsheet just to keep track of how many letters I've had to write. And that's not okay. It's not okay in our democracy to be in this position. And the Prime Minister was saying when we had the international world with us at COP26 recently saying that the UK is not corrupt. We shouldn't have to say that. The UK is not corrupt. The Prime Minister has allowed corruption to be within our government and I think that having this um, integrity and ethics independent um, commission will help to resolve some of that and we're only having to take this step because the Prime Minister has completely disregarded his responsibilities when it comes to upholding the, the code and, un, 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 yeah. un, you know, dealing with the issues that his government has faced. Jonathan Evans, head of that committee, uh, speaking here a couple of weeks ago, just as a lot of this was coming to a, a boil, if you like, said, um, look, people keep craving for one independent um, school teacher or judge or something out of the whole system. But in the end, look, this has to come back to Parliament. And he was challenging, explicitly, as his report, as his committee has done, this idea of, that you can have a single, unelected person with all this power. 
Yeah, well, it won't be a single person. It will be a committee, and that committee will then decide how it how it divvies it up. So they may have subcommittees, and of course, the independent standards commissioner will still be there, and we will strengthen that role rather than what the current prime minister is doing, and that's undermining the role of the independent commissioner, in my view. So there is work for that commission to do, but we've got to bring it together, and we've got to start implementing. Like I say, the government had the report in 2018, and they're still not implemented those recommendations. We have a report coming out from the standards committee this afternoon and again you know I'm, I'm dubious to see whether the government will will take advantage of that and clean up their act and it's really important that you know the prime minister shows his intention of what our government is and how we uphold the standards and rules of law that we expect all our citizens to as I said in my speech and that's the frustration for me is because we do have standards now we do have these committees various committees and standards and yet the Prime Minister has a total veto when it comes to ministers and we've seen 3.5 billion of contracts Covid contracts awarded to Tony Do Tory donors and mates and we've seen a complete fragrant disregard for the ministerial code that's been yes. breached on more than one occasion and the government have just said well we're not taking any action that's unacceptable the prime minister has an absolute responsibility to the people of this country to show that we uphold the highest standards in office and he's undermined that and that's why we said that we take the action that we've taken mm -hmm. and I believe that's the best way we can now restore the public trust and people are angry the public are angry they've been through so much as I as mm -hmm. I mentioned if you're a sole trader and you, you know, you lose a receipt. The HMRC will come down on you. You know, people have to follow the rules. So the prime minister and ministers shouldn't be any different. You've portrayed this very much as conservative sleaze, a phrase you've used, and as a, um, a, a, a characteristic of the behaviour of this prime minister. Um, but I'm thinking of one headline in the Independent that said, "Sleaze, corruption, power, Labour knows all about uh, two of those things." And uh, well, I'm certainly not endorsing any kind of misbehaviour. Uh, in office, um, in portraying it, this as the problem of one party, are you not speaking from the position of a party that hasn't had, has not been in office when it has? Uh, I'm thinking whether of, of uh, charges against uh, former members of Labour, Liverpool City Council, uh, the behaviour of the last Labour Prime Minister when out of office, the cash for honours questions when he was in office. Uh, there have been such questions too. Yeah, sure. And you know, if you look at our actions. With that, you know, Liverpool, we welcome the independent investigation and mm. we've co collaborated and really pushed forward. We've done our own review and dealt with that. You know, problems arise in political parties, but when you've got ministers who have been found to have broke ministerial codes where processes haven't been followed, the Prime Minister just vetoes and says it's okay. We haven't. When we've seen problems, we've dealt with them. And this is part of that for me. It's about showing the public that it's not one rule for them and one rule for us. If I'm Deputy Prime Minister, I will be expected to be held to the highest of standards. That's not my money, it's the public money. And they deserve the best from our ministers and the best from our government. They'll get it under Labour. What we've seen under this Prime Minister is he's just disregarded those rules and allowed people to get away with it. And, 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 and that, that is really frustrating because since I've been an MP since 2015, you know, it's felt like, you know, lower than an estate agent is the term that people use. You know, I feel like I'm proud to represent my members in Ashton Underline. I think it's the greatest public service to represent those people that I represent. But so much of the actions of, you know, the government ministers, prime ministers has undermined people's trust. So they think we're all on the take. And, and that's not true. Many MPs 
want to do their best by their constituents and the Prime Minister's just made it, you know, undermined all of that. And I don't want people to think that MPs are in there for a second job or to feather their own nest. I want people to see MPs as the public servants that they are to, to do what's right by our country and by the people that we're there to represent. And this is a necessary step to enforce that again, I think. Okay, thanks. Thanks to everyone who's sending in questions. There's some terrific ones coming in, and do keep them coming. I'm going to go to questions to the media uh, now, who, I, as I said at the beginning, have, have, have turned out um, for these comments and this discussion. Let me begin with uh, Chris Mason uh, of the BBC. Thank you. Good morning. Um, thank you, Ryan. A quick question about the behaviour of Carly Ben, the former Welsh First Minister. You talk about a total ban on former ministers uh, doing uh, jobs connected to their time in office for five years. Uh, he was working for the GFG Alliance, which was a Liberty Steel, and uh, October, the Advisory Committee on Business Appointments was pretty critical. So I wonder what you make of, of his behaviour. He denied uh, any wrongdoing. I wonder if you can enlighten us at all on a front bench reshuffle apparently being underway within the Labour Party. We read whilst you've been on your feet. Any light you can shed? Okay, thanks, Chris. thanks very much. I'm going to take them in batches of three because we do have a lot. I will try and get through everyone. Um, do we have Romilly Weeks from ITV? Right. Hello, thank you. Um, Andrew, we've been pretty crunchy in your uh, Saxon Conservatives. If you accept them, your own side, uh, the likes of Keir Starmer, Lord Faulkner, uh, shouldn't have been looking for or actually doing work outside politics and that you're proposing uh, your own thing about that. And could you expand a bit on the immediate on Sanders' report that's been published today? What do you think their proposal is good or far enough? Okay, thank you. And Ben Glaze from the Mirror. Ben, thanks. Great, thank you. Let's take those ones. Okay, thank you. Um, Chris, in terms of uh, Carwin and anyone else in the Labour Party, I'm very clear the rules apply to everybody. And not only that, the situation we've got at the moment is the current rules, the Prime Minister and Ministers are not even following the current rules. We're actually saying that not only should be following the current rules, but the current rules need reform. And that's what it was about today. So, um, you know, it comes to, um, I think it was Romley's point as well, about actually, Keir's been very clear, and I've been very clear, since we both became leader and deputy leader of the Labour Party, is that there should be only the very minor exceptions to second jobs. And that's if you're an A&E doctor or if you're an army reservist. But actually, things like legal work would not come under that definition. So that's why we think the current rules need reform. We've been very clear on that. So people shouldn't be breaking the rules as they currently stand. There should be consequences for them. And also that the reforms that, that I've outlined today are needed to strengthen that as well. And um, in terms of Romley's point on the committee, uh, the report today, I don't know what the details of that are. I'll, I'll look at that in interest. Um, but I don't have much faith in the Prime Minister, if I'm honest, because he hasn't even cleaned up what we've seen over the last couple of weeks. So I'm very dubious. I hope he does take note because it's very concerning to me that not just um, across our own borders here and our own citizens, but internationally, we're making ourselves look like we don't follow the rules. And the Prime Minister has got a track record of that, and I think he needs to really take note. So I will see what's in that report later this afternoon. And Ben, in terms of FOI, I would go 
I would go further in terms of FOI because people who have public contracts where public taxpayers' money is spent, those contracts, and as I believe, and those firms should be open up to FOI requests as well because we've seen that as over the last number of years, more and more contracts are in the private sector that are public contracts and they don't have the same scrutiny. So there's like a two-tier system that has developed. I would want to tighten that up so that there is transparency. My mantra here is about transparency as much as possible so that people can see that actually everything that we do is in the public interest. And that's why we've also said we'd set up the value for money um, within government so that we had a body that looks at every contract that we deliver. Rachel Reeves outlined this in her budget statement that every contract that we put out to tender delivers in the public interest. And I also believe there should be a clause that says if you've not delivered on that contract, we get the money back because at the moment we've wasted billions of pounds on contracts that haven't been delivered. We're spending one million pound a week on storage of dodgy PPE that we can't, we can't use. I mean, we've got, we can't have this waste of public money, especially in times like we've been told for the last 10 years, we've got to tighten our belt and we haven't got the resources for adult social care. And at the same time, we're spending millions a week on um, PPE contracts because the contracting was bad. So I think we also have to claw that money back and have clauses within procurement that says, if you don't deliver on the contract, the public money comes back into the public purse. There were two questions on the reshuffle. Oh, yes, the reshuffle. How could I forget? Um, look, I, I, I don't know the details of any reshuffle. I've been concentrating on the job that I'm doing at hand, and I think that's really important. You know, the Labour Party, the challenge to us is to show that we're a government in waiting, and I think that's what the public expects of us. So, you know, I'm focused on not just exposing what the government is doing wrong. I think what people often say to me, and if you don't, don't look at my social media, it's, it's, it's a mixed bag most of the time. But one thing that I do uh, you know, respect that the public do say is, well, what would Labour do? You know, you're criticising the government all the time. What would you do? So I think part of what we've got to do now is not only show that the Labour Party has changed, but also set out what our programme for government is. And that's what I was doing today. So I'm not sure the details of the reshuffle, but I do know that what we have to do is show that we are a government in waiting and that we have to be the next government because we can't okay. carry on like this. Thank you. Let's take another batch. Um, do we have Aubrey Allegretti from The Guardian? Hi, Angela. Um, Hi. Two quick things. Firstly, Geoffrey Cox, who I think you alluded to in your speech, uh, he gave his defence of working in the British Virgin Islands over the weekend, saying that he gives his full commitment to, at all times to his constituency, but he's simply pursuing an honourable profession, doing his legal work as well. What did you make of that defence? And um, on the reshuffle, we know that one is imminent and it's reportedly happening now. So do you think now is the right time for one or not? Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Jim Pickard from the FT. I'm not trying to choreograph all this. I'm just trying to get through everyone. Um, uh, Ash Coburn from, from the Independent. Brilliant. Hi, Angela. There was one recommendation in the 2018 report in Stunts in Public Life which suggested that before all elections, parliamentary candidates should declare whether they intend to keep their external interests. There are a number of upcoming by-elections in the coming days and weeks. Are Labour candidates already doing this? Thank you. And have we got Kate Proctor from Politics Home? Brilliant. Hi. Um, I wondered if you could flesh out more how a decision would be made on second jobs when they are um, in public service, so doctors, nurses, um, 
is that some, could you explain the decision-making process? Is, is that just something that you'd feel at the time, or would it be a much more structured analysis of what jo job is seen to be, what second job is seen to be like a public good? Great. Thank you. Do you want okay, to take thank you. In terms of the question around Geoffrey Cox, I mean, it was only the other week that I saw he was on Zoom again doing his work when we were in Parliament voting, so I'm not sure how he is representing his constituents at the same time as doing his job because he's obviously been off the whip numerous times while he's in the Caribbean. I'm not quite sure my members in my constituency National Line would see it as acceptable that I'm in the Caribbean and not voting on important issues because I've got a cushy little second job. So I don't think, uh, I don't agree with uh, Geoffrey Cox on that. I think it's uh, unacceptable if Parliament's sitting and he's got important votes, and I don't see that as a reason why he should be off the whip. There is many legitimate reasons, and this is a frustration, actually, and I'd just like to say while I'm in this room that there is many legitimate reasons why MPs at times are off the whip. They're so-called paired, and that means that they're down as abstaining, they're not down as voting, and that means that one of the government ministers or representatives are not there as well, and that's legitimate, and usually it's either illness or there's something important in their constituency or something like that, but I wouldn't say going to Caribbean to advise a tax haven is a legitimate reason to be off the whip and not voting in Parliament. I think it's unacceptable, and I don't think that it's honourable to do that, if I'm honest. Um, and in terms of the reshuffle timing... You know, I, I don't know the details of the, the reshuffle or, or the timing of it. I've, I've been here concentrating on my role now, but six months ago, I said, again, we need some consistency in what how we're approaching things as, as a opposition. And I want us to see us as a government in waiting. I want us to do that job because if we're not doing that job, then we're letting down the people of this country at a time when they need us the most. So I'm focused on making sure that every part of our Labour movement is focused on getting us into power and making sure that that happens. So I, I, I don't know what the details of what the timing is because I've not, I've, I've not been, I've been focused on this, so apologies for that. Um, and in terms of the point around the by-elections and um, Ash's point on the um, keeping external interests, look, we think that the government should take action immediately and it should apply to all... all um, parliamentary candidates it should apply to everybody equally and I think that the government are in power now and they should make that change I don't think it should be one or the other I think actually the government needs to take action now so that it's a level playing field for all candidates um, in any election going forward but the government need to you know I've said they should follow those recommendations they've still not implemented the 2018 recommendations and even now um, you know, as I say, Geoffrey Cox is still doing his, his, his role in the Caribbean. The government is still not taking the action they need to. An MP found guilty of harassment and let back into the Conservative Party and, and, and seem to be that they're, they're OK with that. So I think they need to clean up their acts immediately and have a level playing field for MPs on their conduct. And in terms of... Um, the second jobs, Kate, the point around that and how would it be decided? It would be by the Commissioner and the Standards Commission. So it would be for them to decide. I mean, obviously, we've made an indication that we feel that jobs like if you're in a reservist in the armed forces or if you're an A&E doctor and you need to keep up your professional qualification, that we think that they should be within the scope. But actually, it would be the Commission and the Standards Commissioner that would make the final decision on that. I don't think it should be... Uh, individual parliamentarians or the Prime Minister who makes that decision. I think 
to restore trust, it truly has to be independent and it has to have teeth because, again, like I say, if you look at the uh, situation with the outside interests of former ministers, it, it seems that there is no teeth to that and that David Cameron and Philip Hammond have fragrantly been able to get round those rules and uh, I think that it's about time we stop that and I think having an independent integrity um, and the Ethics Commi Commission, as well as the Independent Standards Commissioner, making those decisions and not politicians, I think, is the right move. Thank you. I just want to press you on that point about second jobs, and I've got a question I'd like to stir in that's come in online from Matt Honeycomb, Foster of Politico, saying, would that total ban on lobbying jobs include roles with think tanks, trade unions and charities, some public affairs bodies, such, such as the PRCA, it's a group for PR professionals, see those as influencing jobs, or would the ban be just confined to in-house and consultancy lobbying? Well, it wouldn't be for myself or Keir to make that decision. Like I say, it would be for the um, Integrity and Ethics Commission to make the final decision on that. So if they felt that that was right. in, within the scope of the five-year ban, then absolutely it should be within the scope. And at the moment, the situation is so precarious is that people right. like David Cameron can get around it. So I think that it would be for the Commission to decide and that we would support that independent Commission in their, in their views on what should happen there. And I think that's the right way to go about it. OK, thanks for that. Can we take a few more here? Have got um, all governments and prospective governments promise to clean up politics, but ultimately it comes down to whether the public trust them to do that. Um, Keir Starmer has been accused by some people in the party of breaking his pledges that he stood on to become leader. Um, do you think that the Labour Party should be held to those pledges? And do you think that the, why do you believe that the public should trust that you'll follow through on this agenda? Thanks for that. Who else? Over, over, over here. Um, let's take these two. Um, thanks, Jerry Scott, Press Association. Um, if you're banning second jobs, does that mean, does that extend to then you think that maybe MPs should be treated more like employees and have more employment rights that may then come with that? And then on the reshuffle, I know you're not necessarily aware of what's going on or the timings, but you've made a big deal today about this being Labour setting out its stall. What does it kind of say if the party's, you know, moving pieces around on a chess piece whilst you're here making this big important speech? Thank you. And next to you. Thank you. Chloe Chaplin from the Eye newspaper. Um, in terms of banning ministers from working in any role relating to their previous job for five years, that seems incredibly broad and you could probably link almost any job to a senior political role. So how would that actually work in principle? And um, just to take it back to the reshuffle again, as kind of indicated here, we've been told that it's actually happening now. So are you frustrated that Keir hasn't discussed this with you beforehand? Okay, thank you. Um, Adam, in terms of the public trust and taking these issues forward, if you look at Keir, Keir's putting a programme forward for government and Keir's actions since he's been leader and actually even before then when he was chief prosecutor, you know, when MPs were being done for expenses scandals, Keir Starmer was leading on prosecuting those MPs. So he has, um, you know, he has a proven track record of making sure that standards in public life are maintained. Whereas if you look at Boris Johnson, and that's the contrast I'm making, Boris Johnson has clearly just disregarded the rules, ne never mind strengthening them, he's disregarded them. So I think there's a clear choice between the two, and I think Keir's been very clear on that. You know, And the message and what we put to the public at a general election, we will set out what our promises to the electorate, but I won't take any lessons on promises from the Conservatives. They've hiked up 
national insurance contributions. They lied to the North on rail and everything, so I won't list all of them. I'll, I'll rattle through. And in terms of um, second jobs and the point around employees, we won't be employees. We're not employees. It's, it's, it's always a tricky one with MPs and the way they stand. But this is about upholding ministerial codes and upholding standards in public life. And it's very clear that the government are disregarding what we've currently got and are not repairing the system. And that's what I'm trying to do. And in terms of the reshuffle, I think I've said what I've said on the reshuffle. I think it's what we're trying to do in the Labour Party is set ourselves up to be a government in waiting and that's what the public need to see of us. So I think that's where I'm focused. And also in terms of Chloe's point on five years ministers and how would it work, again, it comes back to the standards committee who would make the decision on the scope of that. I think it would be inappropriate for me to say what the scope of that is, but it's clear that at the moment it's not working. As I set out in my speech, you know, David Cameron, Philip Hammond, again, you know, the, Chris Grayling, it's clear that the route that they've got to these jobs have been because of their interest within government and that nothing's been done about that and that's what we should tighten up. Thank you. And just on your point about second jobs, do you, would you like that to apply to the devolved administrations? Uh, as well. I remember someone when Carwin Jones was looking, looking for what he did afterwards, someone said, look, these, these, Cardiff is a very small community mm. in a sense, very hard to get uh, occupation in a way that is entirely unconnected. Yeah, and again, it comes back to the commission that would have the remit to look and scope out that. But if you look at what's been happening, the corruption is right at the top of government and that needs to be sorted out. And then as the commission is in place and it's truly independent, they can look at that and right. how the devolved nations then comply within that with devolution. Okay, thank you. Um, are there any more urgent questions here? Um, then I'm going to take some of the excellent questions that have come in. Um, and um, apologies to those sending in questions online. We don't mean to put you second. We just had a wall of media interest uh, for the reasons I explained at the beginning. Um, Professor Robert Barrington has um, uh, asked a very pertinent question, saying, look, this is a very interesting idea about an independent commission, but um, adoption as Labour policy means it's unlikely the Tories uh, will consider it right now. So. Um, this needs either labour in power, uh, minimum a few years off, or he, he says, or building cross-party support. Is your strategy to wait for power or build cross-party support now? I mean, my, my strategy is twofold, really. I've been trying to get the government to act on some of the fragrant disregard of the rules. It's frustrating for me because, let me be clear, you know, if you look at cross-party, the former Prime Minister, John Major, members of the Conservative Party, members of Parliament for the Conservative Party, all are frustrated by what the Prime Minister is allowing to happen. It's very clear. I mean, I don't have to tell you that. The press in this room know that. So there is a, there is a will that's not just a political, party political will, but there is a will for from the country and from cross-party political consensus that the Prime Minister should act and do something. The Prime Minister hasn't acted and isn't doing anything. So my job as the official opposition is to expose that and I won't stop from doing that. It's important that that is done. But I think the Prime Minister has to take stock and has to listen, not just to my voice, because it's not my voice, it, it's almost irrelevant to a certain degree. It's what the public expects, and it's what um, cross-party everyone expects, is that those that 
integrity in public life is upheld. And, and the Prime Minister has failed to do that so far. He's, you know, he, he wouldn't apologise. Members of his government have apologised for what they did um, in regard to the Owen Patterson situation. Um, but there needs to not just be an apology, but a recognition by action that things will change. Thank you very much indeed for that. I've got a whole bunch here on party funding, in fact, um, which hasn't featured as much as in your analysis. And I've got one, uh, someone who hasn't given uh, their name, saying, can you imagine the Labour Party being financed by personal contributions limited to hundreds of pounds and being able to decline block funding from trade unions? One from Tom saying, does union funding at party level and individual MPs fit in with transparency, expectations and trust in, uh, in democracy? And there are quite a lot more. Um, yeah. Another one, does Labour support a change to cap donations to £10,000 per donor per year? Um, and so a lot, a lot of interest in this particular point, which seems to be getting people's passion about how to clean up politics. Yeah, and, and I understand that. And the misconception is that trade unions, you know, the, the money that is from trade unions is absolutely declared and it's millions of members. I was a trade unionist myself for many years and, and still am and pay my contribution. So the money that is, is put through um, any MP actually, not just uh, Labour Party MPs, but that money is transparent and through the right way and it should be. One of the things the government are doing at the moment is they've got a bill going through Parliament where the shell companies, we're demanding that shell companies should not be used to hide donations from overseas, for All example. Right, so that, that's your point so, about transparency. Yeah, so they well, well, well made, but also the, the, the thrust of these questions I think is about the influence, whether or not the, these are declared properly. It's about the influence yeah. that those donations well, they, have. Well, they, they are declared and, and they yep. have to be declared. Point taken about, about transparency, yeah, but yeah. about the influence that that large sums of money have on a well, party. It, it depends on, you know, your motivation for what you, why you do things. The influence that the trade union have is they're part of the labour movement. So, you know, for example, the future of work, I spoke to businesses and I spoke to the trade unions. I don't think that was a problem. It certainly wasn't because they'd given me a donation in the past. It's because at the heart of what I am is I'm a trade unionist who believes in workers' rights. It's, not, no amount of money is going to make me change. If it was, I could get a load of more money from somewhere else, I reckon, than from the trade union movement if I change my views it's you know the the movement and what we stand for our values are about the working people of this country and and rebalancing that so that they you know they can share in the wealth so that you know people can't tax dodge and people can't rig the system that actually that I think the trade union movement is a force for good in this country and mm. that's not because of any donations I get from them it's because I was you know born in Stockport raised in the movement that's what right. I always say mm. Thank you, thank you for that. Let me take one from Meg Russell of the Constitution Unit. And she says, do you agree, this is sort of a question, um, do you agree we urgently need to strengthen the House of Lords Appointments Commission so that the Prime Minister can't ignore its recommendations on the propriety of new members and so that there's proper regulation of the Lords' size and party balance? Yes. Fine, <laughs> great. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, one from Dave Penman. Would Labour agree to put the ministerial code on the statutory footing, which would allow the application of the code to be judged and challenged in the courts? Yes, well, we've said the new Commission on Integrity and Ethics will be on a statutory footing, so yes, we believe it should have statutory powers and it should have teeth. Thanks. We've got one from Henry Dyer of a Business Insider, just pushing, actually, on some of the details. I'm glad someone's done this. Uh, on some, some of the details of this... Um, powerful panel that you've described, the Integrity and Ethics Commission. 
And he's saying, how would a Labour government find members to sit on this? Would the Commission's subsumed role of, of ACABA, uh, the body looking yeah. at, 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 at um, what ministers do afterwards, continue to apply to senior civil servants and special advisors? Well, yes, what we've said is that the Integrity and Ethics Commission will be appointed by the Permanent Secretary and within that, so it will be completely outside of the remit of politicians and of the Prime Minister. So the appointments to that committee will be of the highest integrity and therefore um, they will have that true independence so that they can do their job and be qualified to do their job in a way that, you know, there is public scrutiny. We've seen that and I welcome that the press have been involved in that. We have a good press in this country and they've, they have done their job in scrutinising it and I think the public are well and truly annoyed about it. But the problem is, is that the committee as it currently stands and the standard is that the, the Prime Minister is in until the next general election and there's nothing that the public can do about it apart from get really upset about it and lobby their MPs but ultimately the Prime Minister has a majority and he can disregard so there is stuff that we need to do to make sure there is that independent uh, committee that does have statutory functions and powers that means that they can sanction mm. ministers when they break the code and uh, mm. in terms of former ministers in terms of the business advisory board. Thank you for that. Now, it was an important one from Andrew Turvey, which uh, others have picked up on as well, um, and IFG Writing has, has looked at as well. Um, will the Integrity Commission, in, in your view, have the power to remove a minister from office? The counter-argument being that surely the Prime Minister should have the right to say who the ministers of, of state are. Well, the importance is, is that the Prime Minister has the right to appoint ministers, but if ministers then breach the code, there should be binary consequences for it. So if the breach of the code is so significant and so bad, I mean, a prime minister shouldn't be in a situation where they're actually trying to, you know, defend and keep someone in office when they shouldn't be in office. But this uh, new committee will make it even more binary that that person then has to face the the sanctions that are set out within that, the, the committee's remit. So, um, you know, the Prime Minister can still choose his ministers, but they, then if those ministers breach the code in a, in a way that is, you know, a serious breach, then the Prime Minister shouldn't be able to veto and keep someone in office when they've done a significant wrongdoing. Thank you. And then there's several on um, my first point that I made to you, but I, I want to bring it back because there's a lot of interest in it, which is that the Committee on Standards and Public Life argued against consolidating these bodies all into one, however neat it might seem, um, precisely because it creates, um, as, as one correspondence here, here is saying, a single point of failure and becomes easier for politi politicians to influence. Well, if you look at what's happened over the last, you know, couple of weeks, and we've seen how the, the Prime Minister and the government have used the legislation around procurement, whether that's the PPE contracts that we see in the Randock scandal, or whether it's, like I say, the ministerial code or the advisory board for former ministers. They've been getting away with it and breaking those, those rules as it is. So the consolidation and putting it on a statutory footing and removing it from the prime minister's uh, gift on, on whether to investigate or not, I think are very important ways mm. of taking this forward. But I also said that, that it would be up to the Integrity and Ethics Committee to decide, if, for example, if they needed subcommittees to deal with these issues. But I do think having a central point now, which has a statutory footing, is the only way to clean up the app because the Prime Minister, quite frankly, can decide whether he goes with it or not. And, you know, the Business Advisory Board is toothless when it comes to dealing with things like David Cameron and Philip Hammond. Thank you for that. 
Interesting one and broader. There's several broader. This has got people's constitutional juices going, if I can put it that way. <laughs> um, Michael uh, Bursill um, saying, look, Boris Johnson does as he pleases because he has an 80 seat or 56% parliamentary majority based on 44% of the popular vote. Would Labour back an electoral system that would give him 44% of the seats for 44% of the vote? Well, you know, we haven't... We've, we haven't you know, decided that we're going to move the electoral system. We're in the electoral system that we're in. We want to win a general election, and we think we can win a general election, you know, and, and therefore that's the platform that we're, we're standing on. And I just think it's important that the challenge really is that even in the past where you know, political parties have had a huge majority, no one's ever gone to this level. I mean, it's not necessarily what you can do, it's what you should and what you can't, what you shouldn't be doing. And this government has proven that there is no, um, no route that they wouldn't take for their own self-interest, which I think is extraordinary, actually. I think it is for whatever political persuasion you are. I think what Boris Johnson has done to undermine the integrity in public office as a government is very damaging for our country, and therefore we have to do more to reset that so that people don't just take it on like I say a gentleman's agreement but actually people can see that there's hard rules that people have to follow and there's hard consequences if they don't follow them. All right well thank you we're picking up on the gentleman's agreement but again on the broad constitutional themes we've got someone asking does Britain need a written constitution as the gentleman's agreement with good chaps at the helm is obviously obsolete. Well, like I say, that's why I want to introduce the new, in, you know, integrity and ethics commission. I think it's important. This is much broader, though. Yeah. This is about, about, about a codified constitution overall. Yeah, well, we, I mean, again, we'll be looking at the broader issues. We've had Gordon Brown looking at the stuff around devolution, for example, and how mm -hmm. we work within our cities and regions and different countries. And I think, you know, times are changing and we've got to have something that's fit for purpose. And you know, many people in the north after Boris Johnson broke his promise on things like rail levelling up and, you know, all the promises we've had for the last seven years, people are getting kind of frustrated. And, and what we want to do is bring the United Kingdom together. You know, I worry about the breaking away of Scotland. I don't think that would be good for the United Kingdom. And, you know, so constitutionally, how we respect each other in all parts of the United Kingdom and that we're all able to do well, that's something that we would look at and come forward at a general election. But what we can't do is have a centralised power that has a total disregard for our, our countries, nations and our regions of this country uh, because it, it, it just looks obscene to mm. people and, you know, we're, we're fed up of it. We're fed up of it. Today, in the North, we've got energy uh, cutouts for people. Many MPs are frustrated about it and yet th it's not in the national yeah. news because the North is not as considered as important. I think if it was happening somewhere in central London, it would be, it would be considered national news and it's a frustration at times that we feel neglected in some of our areas because of the centralised power. So we do need to look at how we empower um, regions and nations so that they can they can share the wealth as part of the United Kingdom. It's indeed something the IFG is working on. I'm going to just slide in one final question. We're coming right to the end of this. And, and it is from someone saying, constitutional political reform usually appears as an afterthought in parties' manifestos. Can you commit to Labour's next manifesto having a substantial section on plans to increase integrity and accountability in public life and that those plans would be legislated for in a first term? 
integrity, uh, all of the things that I've outlined today will absolutely be legislated in the, you know, in the first part of our government because we think it's really important. In fact, I, I think the Prime Minister should be taking note and should be doing this right now and that he shouldn't be waiting for, for us to take that action. But if the Prime Minister refuses to take that action, of course the next Labour government will take that action and will take it immediately because integrity and ethics in public life goes to the heart of us then having the respect of the population, respect of our constituents to carry out our role and our function as members of parliament, which is an honour and a privilege to do. Angela Rooney, thank you very much. Everyone, thank you thank very you. much for sending in terrific questions. I'm sorry I couldn't get them all in, um, but they, they, were, they, they were fascinating, um, very wide-ranging. Uh, thank you, those who've braved the cold and coronavirus to come here in, in person. Uh, thank you for the, the, the uh, tolerating the ventilation that we're imposing on you. And again, Angela Rayner, thank you very much thank indeed. You.